Father, we just thank you for another opportunity to dive into your word, to eat the bread of life, to get some daily bread from our Abba, and really chew and, and get the nourishment we need from the source of life. Jesus, you are the source of life. You are the bread of life. And so we thank you that we aren't just talking about the, you know, the Logos word of God here. We're not just talking about the word, the Bible tonight, Lord. We're talking about Jesus Christ himself. I thank you that you are alive, Jesus, even while we read the Bible. You are alive and speaking even while we dive into scripture. Thank you that this is not, this, your word is alive, that there, this is a, this is a, a night of revelation, Father, for every single listener. You have something specific in your heart for everyone that is listening to this podcast, Lord. You have something specific for every person. You know every single thing about them. You know what they're going through right now. You know the challenges that they're facing. You know their needs, you know the breakthrough that you're navigating them into right now. You know the miracle that you are releasing in their lives right now. You know uh, the prayers that they are praying. You know the, the word of God that they are standing on. You know the prophecies that you've spoken over their lives, Lord. You know where they're headed, and you know how to get them there. And we just want uh, tonight, Lord, I just, I just want you to, to use this podcast, Father, as like a compass. That's what I heard, that you're going to use this, this podcast like a compass. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to provide a, a, a direction. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to point them, Father, towards uh, where you are leading them. And it's going to provide... Uh, specific uh, confirmation, God, that the steps that they're thinking about taking, that, that, that either those are from you or they're not from you. And so I'm not exactly sure how you're going to do that, Holy Spirit, but you are an expert. You are an expert at taking what belongs to Jesus and revealing it to us. You are an expert at searching the heart of God, the mind of Christ, and revealing the things that uh, belong to us, the things that God has freely given to us. You take our inheritance in Christ and you, you help us understand it so that it can become tangible and not just a theoretical inheritance, but a tangible inheritance. And so, Holy Spirit, we're going to trust you tonight. We're going to follow you completely. Uh, we, just, we just know that uh, you are brilliant and excellent at your job. And we uh, just desire to be sons that are led by the Spirit of God. We desire to be mature uh, sons of God that follow your leading. And so, Lord, thank you for just doing, uh, leading us and doing that through this podcast tonight. And we just thank you for it in advance, in Jesus' name. Well, awesome. Well, I felt like, uh, even while I was praying, that I, that the Lord wanted me to go back, and it's going to take me a minute here to find it. Uh, speaking of being led by the Spirit, he uh, is leading me to, to, to this particular spot. And he, I felt like he wanted me to go back and read the prophetic word that I had given uh, for 2019 back in the beginning of the year. 
And I'm recording this podcast. Today is uh, April 7th. So we have just wrapped up the first quarter of the year. And we are headed into the second quarter of 2019. And I think a lot of times what happens is that, you know, January rolls around and it's like this new year and we've got this new direction and we've got this new excitement and we've got new goals and, you know, we're all pumped up for the year. And usually by the time we get to, I mean, some of us, it doesn't even take to get to April, but usually by the time we get to April, we've kind of lost our focus. We aren't necessarily thinking about the things that God was speaking to us back in January. We aren't necessarily thinking about the goals that we set back in January. But I do want to encourage you that, uh, you know, in my, you know, coaching that I do with my students and, you know, I tell folks I'm a, I'm a life purpose coach. I'm a supernatural life coach uh, is kind of what I think of myself as. And, you know, one of the things I always tell my students and my clients is that, you know, God is not confused. (laughs) I know we get confused. I mean, I don't know if you're like me. Like I sometimes feel like I just wake up in the morning just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by my to-do list. I'm overwhelmed by, you know, all the things I have to get done in in a given week. You know, I can just, I can just, I can talk myself to going back to bed, you know, sometimes just by looking at my to-do list sometimes because it just feels like there's more to do then there is time to do it. And the more that you're, you know, you're, if you're leading a business or you're leading a ministry or you're leading an organization or you've got any responsibility at any, uh, you know, at the job that you're doing, you've got just a lot of balls in the air to juggle. And so it's really easy to get confused. But, like I just said, God is not confused. You know, he is, <laughs> he's an incredible creator, You know, I think about what he accomplished in six days when he spoke the worlds into existence and the the level of complexity in the universe and the level of uh, understanding and and brilliance and uh, just order that God exhibits in his ability to execute a vision, (laughs) you know, it's pretty phenomenal. But for us that uh, are depending upon God, really, step by step to fulfill a vision, it's really easy to get overwhelmed. And so I'm sharing all that to say that God is not confused. He has not changed his mind about the things that he was speaking to you at the beginning of the year. And maybe you've got, you know, maybe you had a detour, maybe you had a crisis, or maybe you you got sidetracked, or maybe you got distracted. I mean, I know for me, I've been working on some specific goals and executing some things that the Lord spoke to me, and then I just had this crazy back injury that happened to me on March 2nd. And for, you know, that's why there wasn't a podcast for the whole month of March. I mean, I literally almost just like got taken out by this injury, and that was not expected. That was not on my calendar. That was not on my agenda. Uh, and so, you know, you can, things happen, life happens. So I feel like that the Holy Spirit wants us to get kind of reacclimated, refocused tonight on what he was speaking back in January as we head into the second quarter of the year. Now, if you are listening to this at some point in the future, uh, and it's not April 7th, 2019, maybe it, who knows when you're listening to this, I want to, I want to kind of put a disclaimer on this. On this, And that is, I was really blown away, honestly, by the words that God spoke this year over 2019, because he actually said, if you'll do this, this will be the best year of your life. And so why I'm saying that is, that's true in every year. That's true. 
I really feel like what God was speaking over the beginning of this year is the same thing he could speak for every year. Uh, Because it really is not something that we leave. Uh, It's not a a lesson or it's not a, a way of being that we graduate from. So let me just read this, and I think it'll make sense why I'm saying that after I've read it. Okay, I'm going to take a moment and read it. It says, in order to be truly successful in life, my kids must live out of their true identity. They must live out of who they are in Christ. They must live out of the place where they are abiding in me. This means that each of them must stop identifying with their old self-image. The unregenerated me, the separated me, the alienated me, the independent me, this me no longer exists. It's just a memory of who they've experienced themselves to be over the course of their lives. I'm going to read that last sentence again. It's just really powerful. It says, it's just a memory of who they've experienced themselves to be over the course of their lives. However, this memory of me, quote-unquote, who in reality no longer lives, must die in their minds. You cannot identify with the old man and the new man at the same time. You cannot be joined to me and separated from me at the same time. The state of abiding in Christ is the normal and perpetual state of being for a believer, whether they are aware of it or not. Separation from me is always just an illusion. However, when someone is deceived by this illusion, my life does not flow through them. As a result, they cannot produce the fruit, the results they want. They cannot produce the fruit that only comes from being connected to the vine. My results are only produced by abiding in me. The supernatural is the natural byproduct of your life as you abide in Christ. But remember, child, it's one thing to know who you are in Christ, yes, yet entirely something different to live out of this identity as a way of life. And this, my child, is the reason I created you. I have called you to help people live their life purpose and make a difference in the world the only way it can happen, through oneness with me. This is why you must never, ever stop moving forward and believing me for big and possible dreams for yourself and others. Yes, it may be easier to live a normal life, but Jesus paid an incredible price for you to experience my life. If you want to know what those connected to you need to know coming into this new year, in order for this year to be the best year they've ever lived, tell them this. Now, that is a really tall order, you guys. This is what he says. If you want this to be the best year you've ever lived, do this. Listen to my voice. Make knowing me, living out of your true identity, and learning to abide in union with me your number one priority this year. I'm going to say it again. Listen to me. Listen to my voice, rather. Make knowing me, living out of your true identity, and learning to abide in union with me your number one priority this year. Success in life isn't found in setting and achieving more goals. It's found in living life with me, in union with me. Will you set and achieve goals living this way? Of course you will. You will set and achieve my goals. 
I will accomplish my will and establish my kingdom through you as you abide in me. However, you and your life will not be defined by these accomplishments. For who you are and your success in life is singularly defined by who you are in me. Now, I know that's kind of a long word to read, but it's worth me saying it over and over again. I'm probably be majoring on this theme for the year. It seems like a lot of times we come into this new, the new year and we hear, you know, prophetic voices say, oh, this is the year of this, or this is the year of this. And then, you know, it just kind of fades out over the year. But I think the reason why the Lord, there's, I think a bunch of reasons why the Lord really wanted me to come back to this today and wants me to continue to teach on it all year. Uh, It's because anytime we have a prophetic word, There is a process that we have to walk through with the Lord for the fulfillment of that prophetic word. And the Bible is filled with examples of this. I mean, whether it was Joseph who had the dream and then, you know, tells his brothers and his family about the dream and then ends up, you know, being thrown into the pit and then he gets into, I mean, all, you know, that, that's a long journey that Joseph went through. I mean, getting falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, going to jail. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened before the prophetic dream that Joseph dreamed came to pass. And there is, there's time that happens in between a prophetic word and the fulfillment of that word. And we think about David and we think about, you know, he was around 17 uh, when he was anointed to be king. And it was years and years and years of all kinds of life experiences. I mean, whether it was, you know, lots of, there were great life experiences and, and exploits like defeating Goliath. There were Uh, times when he, you know, lost everything and was running for his life. I mean, it was just, it was dramatic. (laughs) Can I say it? It was dramatic in between the the, the call of God and the the prophetic uh, declaration over David's life and then the the fulfillment of uh, the call of God on on David's life. And, And, I mean, whether, I'm just thinking about the Apostle Paul. Here he has this incredible experience on the road to Damascus, and he's given this vision, and this light shines, and I mean, he supernaturally he goes blind from this light, and then it's 14 years, 14 years he went away. He said he, when he he said he did not confer with flesh and blood after that, and so there was this pro, what was going on in these 14 years, you know, between the time that that God chose and and called Paul to the place where he became the man that ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, there is a process, I would say, of, of development that happens in our lives between the call and the fulfillment of our destiny. And I think what is so significant about this particular prophetic word, and I honestly think what is significant about God saying, I mean, I really do. I really feel like tonight he's saying, you know, you you may teach around this subject this year, but this is going to be a major topic for this year. And really, what is the topic? The topic is, it is not enough to know your, your true identity in Christ. It is not enough to know who you are in Christ. 
we actually have to live out of our true identity. We have to learn what it means to abide in Christ, to, be, to experience our union with God as a way of being. As, and and when, I, when it's a way of being, by the way, this is not something that you are consciously doing. Uh, this is, you know, this is something that your mind has been renewed to, to, to such a degree that it is just the way you are. I want to say it again. It's the way that you are. And before I jump into kind of expanding on that, I, I also want to say this. I, I've, I've shared the testimony many times over the course of my ministry about, I mean, I was early, young in the Lord uh, when God gave me this assignment. But honestly, that assignment, when I look back on it, it is the core of my message. It is the core of not only my identity, but it is the core of why I am on the planet. And the assignment was not super exciting in the beginning when I got it. And it was simply to take the scripture from Colossians at 127, and I'm just going to read it. Um, I'll read it, read it so we'll read it in context. I mean, it's basically the scripture that talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? And God told me to meditate on that one scripture for an entire year. For an entire year, uh, I was supposed to, to, to meditate on that one scripture. Now, you have to realize where I was in my life when God gave me that instruction. First of all, I thought, you know, to be a good Christian, you needed to read your Bible through in a year. Like, you know, they have the one-year Bible, and you have your daily Bible reading, and you read your Bible every day, and that's what you do. That's what it means, you know, that's like part of what it means to be a Christian. And so the concept of, I mean, I had never, ever heard of that. I mean, I'd heard of, obviously, scripture meditation, but not like one scripture for a whole year. This just seemed irresponsible. This seemed a little extreme or something. But, okay, let me read it to you in scripture, in context. Uh, let me read it to you. In, um, just, I'm just going to start with something simple. We'll read in the ESV version. It says, uh, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now let me back up in context. Let me read it. It says, verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, for in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Okay, now it says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this one scripture, you know, Colossians 1.27, the key phrase here, which I knew that God was wanting me to get, was this concept of Christ in you. I think that we've heard, we've heard so much in Christ scriptures. I mean, literally, the in Christ scriptures in the New Testament are mentioned 250 plus times. You know, there's so much union language in the New Testament, whether it's we are the temple of the Holy Spirit or the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Um, 
if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I mean, we have so many scriptures in the new, in the new covenant and in the new Testament that talk about our identity in Christ. But I think if you're like most people, we have this really bad habit of still by default thinking of ourselves and relating to ourselves and relating to God as though we're separate. I mean, I, I mean, it's like, it's like we, it's kind of like exactly what this prophecy is talking about. It's like we intellectually know what, you know, our identity in Christ, but we aren't necessarily really living out of that as a real reality. And what, why do I think that's important? Well, I think it's important because to the extent that we are living out of our identity of, in Christ as a way of being, not as a way of knowing, <laughs> not as like an informational identity, but as an experiential identity, to the extent that we are experiencing our union with God and we're experiencing ourselves as being one with God, that is, it changes the level of manifestation in our lives of the heaven on earth. It changes the way, it changes the perspective of how we live. It changes, it changes everything, really. It is, it is a foundational shifter. <laughs> it, it shifts the foundation. It, it changes the foundation of our lives. And I, I think I may have mentioned this on a recent podcast. I mean, I feel like sometimes I, I talk so much, it's like I forget who I've told what to. So bear with me if you've heard me say this before. But if I had, if, you know, it's a podcast, so you can't see me right now, but if, if you could visualize this with me, that I, that I am, I've got a whiteboard behind me, and on the whiteboard, I'm drawing a line right down the middle of that whiteboard. And on the, the, the left side of the line, I'm going to draw a little stick figure, okay? And that's going to represent, that's you, okay? And then I'm going to draw on the... Uh, other side of the line, I'm going to draw another stick figure and I'm going to put, that's going to be Jesus. And I'm going to put a little crown on that little stick figure over here on the, on the right side of the board. And that's going to be Jesus. So we've got a stick figure on the left side of the line. That's you. You've got a stick figure on the right side of the line. That's Jesus with the little crown. And when we are taught in church or in Bible school or wherever we're really taught our identity in Christ, I mean, in my own life, I sure didn't learn it in Sunday school. I grew up Southern Baptist. Um, we didn't have, you know, your identity in Christ classes. If we did, I didn't know about it. You know, we had the, you know, how to stay out of hell class. That's, that's pretty much the class I had growing up in church. And also we had the rededicate your life class. That was a really important class. Now, obviously, we didn't really have those classes. weren't the names of classes, but it's pretty much what we learned, right? Because we rededicated our life pretty much every week. Uh, if you went to youth camp, man, that was like, man, they really got you at youth camp. I mean, everybody, everybody, we did we did our life like three times, and you felt clean sometimes the whole week. Sometimes you felt clean the whole week, but usually by Friday of camp, you needed to rededicate again. Meaning that you were on this roller coaster ride with God where like if you're doing well and not sinning, at least not bad sinning, then you know, you could relate to God. You could talk to God. You could, you know, you had a good relationship going. But the moment that you messed up, the moment that you sinned, 
then you got to confess your sins right away. Um, and if you don't confess your sins right away and you happen to like be in a car wreck or something, you know, you die in between when you can actually tell them you're sorry, well, you're going to hell. And now, again, they may not have said it like this, but this is, I'm not sure because it felt that way, even if they didn't say it that way. But the point is, is like you were on this, number one, it's so sin conscious. It is just like this massive focus on sin. You're just focused on what's wrong, what's wrong with you, and you're just, you're constantly never measuring up, and, and you, you, you're always cleaning up. You're making a mess, cleaning it up, making a mess, cleaning it up, making a mess, cleaning it up, making a mess, and it's exhausting just making messes and cleaning it up all the time. So I'm just sharing with you where I came from, I didn't even have the who you are in Christ class. I didn't have that until I was in my 30s. So, but for those of us who thankfully finally did get the who's, you know, who I am in Christ class, the way, we, the way it kind of works is if you kind of look up at the, the left side of the, the line here and you see yourself and you see a new you. And this new you is like, you know, in Christ. And the new, but we don't really think about it. We just think, okay, righteous. Now we're righteous in Christ. We're, we're perfect in Christ. We're complete in Christ. And I remember I had like a whole one page when I, when I kind of got a hold of this revelation. I had a one page like declaration of scriptures that talked about my identity in Christ. I mean, I still have it on my computer somewhere. You know, who are you in Christ? Well, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Um, uh, in Christ, uh, I am complete in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ. There is, there is, I am not condemned because there is no condemnation for them that are in Christ. And so it's almost like I was up on this white, you know, the stick figure. It's almost like you kind of took labels off of that, that guy or that person, that stick figure, and then you put new ones on there. So like where it used to say unholy, you take that off, and then you put holy on there, and then you take off, you know, unrighteous, and, you, and then you stick on righteous. And then, you know, if you're sick, you know, by his stripes we're healed. So you take off sick, and then you put on healed. And, you know, how about, you know, it says, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. And so we, we take off the, po- the poor label and we stick on the rich label. And so we've got this incredible new identity in Christ. And there we are. And it's almost like, but there's still this weird line. Like there's still this weird line running down the middle of the board that it's almost like we're little Christ. I mean, I've even heard teachings like, you know, you're Christians. That means you're little Christ. You're, you know, little, like we're little Jesus. Like we're Jesus Jr., right? So we're Jesus Jr. over here, and then there's Jesus. And, you know, it's subtle because the truth is we are all those things. So it's not that it's not true. It's just an incomplete revelation. Because what happens by default, because we've lived, we've lived with what I, I call it the big lie. We've lived under the big lie our entire lives. And the big lie is the lie that Satan <laughs> propagated in the garden. And it is the lie that there is a you apart from God. That there is an independent I. There is a, there is a me or a you that exists apart from Jesus. That is the core of pride. It is a self-governing, independent unit that is not, you know, thinks itself propelled. 
And the truth is that human beings were never designed to operate independent of a God. We are not, we are vessels, we are vines, we are temples, meaning that we are carriers of of God. We are carriers. We are we, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We we are and at the fall, simply what happened is we were deceived, and we, and and Eve was deceived, and and she began to operate independent, and believe the lie that if she ate this tree, the fruit on this tree, that she would become like a god. So it was this lie, and and, and God is self-governing. God is self-motivating. God is self-propelling. He's self-existence. He exists in and to himself. I am that I am. And so it was this lie that somehow we are independent. And it is the lie of this God, the God of this world because when we, the truth is, is that they just got, Eve didn't get independent. She got connected to another God. She got connected to the God that had the title, God of this world. And so she had, still had a God. She still, she still had, she still wasn't a source in and to herself. And this illusion that we have that we are somehow independent, somehow, you know, junior Jesuses or something, is it a complete distortion of the, of the gospel. And so we really have to erase this illusion, this line of separation between us and Jesus. And it's, it really is so subtle because it, it, it changes our perception of everything. And I, I use this example sometimes, and I, I, I don't mean it to sound arrogant, but sometimes, see, Jesus was ridiculed for being arrogant. <laughs> they would say, who do you think you are? You, you're making yourself out to be equal with God. And all he was saying is the Father and I are one. All he was saying is, whatever I see the Father do, I do. And I'll, I'll show you many other things because... Uh, the father shows me everything. You know, he was just talking about his father in a way that they thought, well, this is arrogant. And, you know, there's a, and I'm just, I'm just going to go there because, frankly, somebody needs to. Uh, you know, there's a popular teaching in the body of Christ about these courts of heaven. And I, I you know, I've, I actually did a conference one time with someone who was a courts of heaven teacher. And the courts of heaven idea, now granted, I haven't heard a bunch of stuff on this. I've heard enough to say this is exhausting, okay? But the idea that, as I understand it, is that you can go up to the courts of heaven and you can get prayers answered in the courts of heaven. So things that are holding things up and, you know, all this stuff get dealt with in the courts of heaven. And the truth is, is that the enemy has already been judged. Uh, the court has been, the court was in session, and you were declared not guilty, and the enemy was dethroned, you know, made an open display. I mean, there is no more, there's, court is no longer in session. The verdict has been rendered. And you have been declared righteous, you have been declared one with God, and then the enemy has been declared defeated. He lost the case. He lost the case. And so, if anything, 
what we are doing is we are enforcing the victory. We are enforcing the victory that we won in court. Uh, we aren't we aren't back in court, you know, pleading the case. And but I share all that to say I'm not going to go into this, but because there's so much there's so much doctrine out there that makes it exhausting. And the truth is, if you can just settle into Jesus, what in the world are you fighting for? The issue is, is that we haven't settled into the Lord. We haven't settled into this place inside of Christ. And so I just remember, I'm sharing this to say that it, it changes, it, it shapes your perspective of pretty much every way that you're relating to God. Like I remember in this particular conference, we, they, you know, they were leading these encounters and taking us up to the courts of heaven. And I, honestly, after about 30 seconds of going to the courts of heaven, I don't really remember anything else they said because I decided I was just going to go sit in Daddy Judge's lap and just go ahead and melt on into the judge. So I'm sitting inside the judge. Like, I'm just going to sit up in the judge. I'm going to see that, you know, I got the gavel in my hand. I'm just going to see things from daddy's perspective because that is where I live and move and have my being. I don't have to approach the courtroom of God apart from God. I don't have to go in there as a new creation that somehow is still separated from God. And I hope I'm making my point. I know it may seem like I'm splitting hairs, but I'm not splitting hairs. I'm telling you there is an easier way to be a Christian. There is a simple way to be a Christian. There is a so simple. It's so simple. It feels too simple. It feels like, well, there's got to be more than this, Shalise. There's got to be, there has, I mean, surely there's a, a prayer we need to pray, or surely there's a, a, you know, four steps that we need to follow. Surely there's something we need to do. And the truth is, no, the thing that we need to do is erase the line of separation. We need to come and, and tear down this concept that there is a, that we are junior Jesus. And we need to actually go ahead and be inside of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and recognize that that Jesus is the one that li- is living in us. And that's why we're righteous. And that's why we're holy. And that's why we're rich. And that's why we're healed. We are not healed apart from Christ. We're not rich apart from Christ. We are not holy apart from Christ. We are not, uh, you know, free apart from Christ. Like all of the things that we are in our new identity, are, we, are, we are those things because the human being <laughs> that, be, that is named Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, went to the cross. He, he died, a, 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 you know, he, he, he died as us, <laughs> not just for us, but died as us. There was a, there was a, there was a, a union that was happening even on the cross before we were born, before we even had a body, before we even could learn our new identity. There was a union happening on the cross where Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. We are in Romans six. It talks about, we were, we were, we were co-crucified. We were co-buried. We were co-raised. And then it talks about in Ephesians, we were co-raised uh, from the dead, and then we were co-ascended. So there is a union that happens way back at the cross. So it's not, not, jun- not junior Jesus. It's, it's more, and this is the way I say it, it's Jesus in a Shalise suit. And it's Jesus in a Shalise suit wearing a Jesus suit. So this is like a multi-layered suit we got on. It's hot up in here. 
right? Because <laughs> Jesus is, is wearing me and I'm wearing him. And so this is a, a multi-layer redemption. It's, it's me wearing Jesus' skin and, and Jesus wearing my skin. This, I, I'm saying it a lot of different ways because this is my assignment. My assignment is to help you eradicate the idea that there is a you apart from Christ. And the reason this is so important, I mean, here's where I find a lot of us in the body of Christ today. It's like we look to people sometimes that are, that are or we look in the history books and we look, at, we look at revivalists or we look at Smith Wigglesworth or we look at John G. Lake or we look at Catherine Coleman or we look at Heidi Baker or we look at, you know, whoever. Whoever it is that we look at and say, man, that is, you know, that's an amazing ministry they had. But, I, you know, the one that I always get really, really awesome, the one that I think I get really excited about a lot is John G. Lake. And I specifically love the testimonies about John G. Lake going into these African villages that had been wiped out by the plague. And, you know, he was not inoculated and he was in there with the, the health workers and all of that and, you know, I remember the story basically saying that, you know, people thought John G. Lake was crazy for going into these villages where, they, where this plague uh, had been uh, eradicated and, you know, were like worried that he was going to catch it. And I just remember the story going where John G. Lake just said, it's impossible for me to get it. It's impossible for me to catch it. And they were just like, what do you mean it's impossible for you to get it? And he said, look, he's like, if you take, you know, my bodily fluids and put the plague on, you know, some saliva or something of mine, it will die. It cannot, the plague cannot live on my body. And they actually did that. They actually took some of the saliva, put it on a little microscope slide, took some of the germs or whatever from the plague and put it onto his saliva. And it was like John G. Lake's saliva was a vaccine. The, the, The plague would literally die on his spit. And I remember reading this story and people think, oh, I just want that anoint. I want to be anointed like John G. Lake. Like, uh, you know, go and lay on his grave and, I mean, do all kinds of things so that they can get the John G. Lake anointing. And really, the, the, I truly believe that what John G. Lake had was a revelation of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and his union with him. And his, because, I mean, think about it. I mean, would Jesus have gotten sick when he was walking around in his earthly ministry? Would, would, could the curse have come upon Jesus? Could, now I, I know this is radical faith. I get this as a radical example. But I, what my point is, is that to the ex- are we actually experiencing our new identity? Are we experiencing our union with God? Or is this still a place of theory? Is this still a place? I mean, if, you, if you're like me and you started out with your one-page declarations, I mean, praise God we know the truth. Praise God we can declare the truth over ourselves. But the whole prophecy that I'm talking about that God gave this year is that we have to move beyond knowing who we are in Christ to actually living out of our true identity. And so this is the process, the prophetic process, if you will, of becoming. (laughs) And when I say becoming, it's not becoming. You already are that. You're not going to, you know, it's not like you're going to believe it and now Jesus is going to jump in you. No, you're simply going to begin to experience the truth. You're going to begin to actually manifest the truth. And I know this is the case 
Because when I took on the, the scripture meditation of meditating on Christ in you, the hope of glory, and I've shared this before, but it's, I, the reason I shared is to make this point again, is, you know, I did not know what I was doing. I mean, I, I had never meditated before. I was young in the Lord. And when the Holy Spirit told me to go stand in front of the mirror and look in the mirror until I could see Jesus staring back at me, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a, a reference point for that. I didn't know where to go look to see, like, is this what meditation is? Is this what I'm supposed to do? I didn't know you engage your imagination and that your imagination is a key to experiencing spiritual truth. I'm going to say that again. I didn't know that using my imagination was a key to experiencing spiritual truth. Now, I'm going to come back to that point. I'm going to take a little bit of a, a purposeful rabbit trail here for a minute. Because the role that your imagination plays in experiencing the reality of Jesus and the reality of heaven on earth and the reality of your new identity cannot be uh, emphasized enough. Number one, your imagination that is your spiritual eyes. I'm just going to come out and say it that bluntly, that our spiritual eyesight functions through our, the, the faculty of our imagination. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul prayed that for the church of Ephesus. In, in 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you might know the hope of your calling. And so in other words, the eyes of your understanding is your imagination. And he's saying, I, I would pray that your imagination and that your understanding would be flooded with light so that you could know. And that know, by the way, is not just like, oh, hey, you know, intellectually I agree with this. It's an experiential knowing. And so he's praying that your imagination would be enlightened and that it would the, your heart and eyes would be flooded with light there's different translations say it different ways but it is it is your imagination finally the, the passion translation actually i think calls it that but the point is paul's saying i i pray that you can imagine who you really are i pray that you can imagine the hope of your calling your union with god because he knew he wasn't praying for revival he wasn't praying for you know a a Holy Ghost service to, to break out and people to fall on the floor and shake. Not that there's a darn thing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That should be the fruit, frankly, of, of believers getting together who know who they are. We should have manifestations of all kinds happening. But he's not praying for that. He's praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God to, to come and for their, their hearts to be flooded with an, with an understanding and an experiential knowing of who they are. Because, beloved, we are not going to fulfill our destinies separated from Jesus being Jesus Jr. I mean, Jesus Jr. can get some stuff done. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Jesus Jr. has probably been running the show a lot of, the, a lot of stuff on the earth right now, actually. I mean, Jesus Jr. is better than no Jesus, I mean, being Jesus Jr. Is a, is a partial revelation. We are new creations in Christ. So, I mean, praise God for Jesus Jr. But it's not the full potential of your life and your calling and what you are, what you actually are the kind of, you are a brand new species of being that is one with God. You, you live inside of the Trinity. When I say, I mean, in the Trinity, in, in the actual Trinity, 
Like in Jesus, you have some, some access to some stuff, to triune love, to, to the mind of Christ. And it's inside access. This is insider information. You know, two weeks ago or whenever it was, I taught about, you know, Psalm 139 and how we are so known by God. And this, this knowing, this experiential knowing of the hope of your calling is, is so, it, it is going, I think, going to take an eternity to explore this. It's going to, and I, you know, I teach out of this scripture a lot. I feel like sometimes I say the same message over and over again, 10,000 ways, but it, it, until we are experiencing it, we need to hear it over and over and over and over again. I mean, God has me coming back and listen to my, my podcast. I mean, I have a personal word from the Lord back in the summer of last year where he, t- he literally told me, and it's hilarious to me, but he said, you know, Shalise, you need to integrate with, with, with Jesus at a subconscious level. You know, and when I heard him say that, I'm like, first of all, I was like, that is crazy awesome. Yeah. But secondly, it's like, okay, let me get on that. Let me get on, like, into my subconscious mind and integrate with, like, I have no idea what that means. Like, how, what? Yeah, I, I could sign me up for that, but I don't know what to do. You know, it's not like you said, Shalice, you know, you need to go down to Walmart and buy some orange juice. You know, it's like, and by the way, Walmart's like, I live in a little mountain town, so we, we call our Walmart the, you know, Woodland Park Mall. So when I lived in Chicago, there, there were days when I would have not gone to Walmart to get orange juice. So there's just some rough Walmarts. So, but I, I digress. My point is, it was not something, when he said that to me, it's not something like, I could just be like, okay, let me go do that. You know, read, you know, he, it's not like when he said, hey, you know, meditate on Colossians 127 for a year. Like, that was an instruction I could do. When he said, Shalish, you need to integrate with Jesus at a subconscious level, you know, I wasn't quite sure what that meant. However, I will say this, what I'm teaching tonight is exactly how you do this. And the key here is the role of your imagination. And so I'm going to, I just want to, I said I was going down a rabbit trail. I'm not done going down it. Scientifically, it is a known, scientifically proven fact that human beings and the way God or, you know, the way we are, the way human beings function, I'll say it that way because a lot of scientists wouldn't attribute it to God, even though we attribute it to God. The point is, it is a scientifically proven fact that the human mind does not differentiate between an imagined experience and a real experience. This is why, and I've talked about it before, I feel like I've talked about a lot of this stuff before, so just bear with me if you're hearing it again. But that's why if you are dreaming and you're, you know, fighting a bear in your dream and you wake up, you're like sweating. Like you've just been, you know, like you really fought a bear. Like, you know, or you're running in your dream or you're being chased in your dream. You wake up and you're, you're out of breath because physiologically or physiology, the physiology of, of your body thinks you actually were running. There are, there are scientific studies that have been completed and they are published. You can Google this where they had people practice piano 
uh, for real, like they actually, you know, for like seven days or something, they're going to go play the piano, play this particular, these scales, whatever they're going to do, and they're going to do it every day for seven days or some length of time. And then they had a a second study group in the same study that these people were going to do the exact same practice, except they were just going to imagine it. And then they had a third group in the study that was just going to do nothing. They, were going to, they weren't going to actually play the piano, and they weren't going to imagine playing the piano. And the results of that study proved that the people that imagined practicing made as much progress as the people that actually practiced. There's another study that they did. It's the very same thing, except this time they did it with working out at the gym. And so they had one, one group in the study that actually worked out for a period of time. I think it was like three months. I can't remember the details. But they worked out, you know, like every day, five days a week, something like that, at the gym on a regimen of exercise program, lifting weights. The second group, they did the exact same routine in the gym, except they only imagined it. And then they had a third group in the study that didn't go to the gym or imagine going to the gym and lifting weights. And at the end of the three-month study, the people that imagined going to the gym had increased their muscle mass as much as the people who actually physically went to the gym. So they built muscle by imagining it. Okay, If you, if you look into any high-performance elite sports coaches and you study um, Olympics, uh, Olympic training programs at all, I mean, not even that. I mean, you just go to elite athletes, Tiger Woods or uh, Charles Barkley or, you know, anyone that's playing at that level. Sports medicine people and these high-performance coaches know that imagination and they, you know, meditation, whatever you want to call it, that that is a huge part of developing that athlete. And part of it, part of what they're doing when they're imagining Uh, let's take Tiger Woods, for example, is he will have imagined, or swimmers, that that same thing. They have imagined, they have gone through playing the game or um, swimming the, the lap. They've done it so many times that by the time they're actually doing it in the game or in the competition, they are not, the part of their brain that is functioning is not the conscious brain. It has literally become a program that's being run, meaning that it's just a way of being. I mean, they don't have to think, quote, unquote, think about how to putt the ball. They've done it so many times in their imagination and honestly so many times in real life that it is just an automatic thing that's happening. And so this imagination, when, I, when I'm talking about Ephesians 1.18 and, it, you know, the Paul saying, hey, enlighten the eyes of their understanding so that they can know the hope of their calling – there's a revelation that happens when through visualization and through imagination that changes changes what you believe. Because here's the truth of the matter. If we just are really, why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? It's because we have lived our whole lives believing we are someone other than a new creation who lives in union with God. We have experienced ourselves over the course of our lives as an identity or as a personality that is different from our identity and personality in Christ. And so this is, we have a habit, let me say it this way, we have a habit of being, quote unquote, ourselves. We have developed a habit of living out of a separated identity. 
we've developed a habit of believing that we are someone other than the equivalent of a believer like John G. Lake, who someone puts sickness on your body and it literally dies. We have a habit of being unregenerated. We have a habit, you know, of, of believing that we are someone we're not. And in this particular word that I read at the beginning of the year, he said this memory, this memory of who we believe we are needs to die in our minds. Okay, I'm going to say it again. This memory of who we believe we are needs to die in our minds. And so I'm going to go back to this meditation experience that I had for that year. And this experience that I had standing in front of the mirror and the Holy Spirit telling me to stand there until I could see Jesus staring back at me through my eyes. Now at the time, and I, again, if you've heard me tell the story again, I apologize, but until you've done this and you're experiencing it, I, you probably need to hear it again. But basically what happened is I stood in front of the mirror and I, the Holy Spirit said, now listen, the Jesus you are imagining inside of you, it, ma- it matters who you see. Like you're not imagining, you know, Jesus walking down the shores of Galilee or imagining Jesus, you know, turning the wine, water into wine or breaking the bread and feeding the multitude. I mean, thank God for the physical ministry of Jesus and the gospels and all of the stories and everything that we know about the miracles that he performed. But the Holy Spirit was pretty clear. He said, no, the the Jesus that lives in you is the resurrected Jesus. It's the victorious Jesus. It's the ascended Jesus. And he said, the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1 had an encounter with him. You should go read it. And I'm not going to go read it right now for time's sake, but in Revelation chapter 1, you know, John is on the Isle of Patmos, and he's in the Lord, he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he starts to describe Jesus. He sees them. He's, he's like so freaked out, he like falls on the ground like he's dead, right? Jesus has to put his hand out, and it's like, fear not, it's I, you know? But this Jesus has hair of its white like wool. His face is shining like the sun. He has feet that are like burned bronze. He has this two-edged sword come out of his mouth. He has fire in his eyes. I mean, this is, this is a powerful picture of Jesus as Lord. And that is the Jesus that lives in you. And that's what the Holy Spirit was teaching me. And so he's like, well, so you stare there so you can see that. You know, and so pretty soon what started to happen is, okay, I, I'm seeing it. I, I got white hair. I got, I got white hair like wool. I've got eyes like fire. Whoa, you know, and, and you start to, to, that's when I heard the phrase for the first time. It's Jesus in a chalice suit. And I, I mean, think about this. I was, I was going to sleep with this meditation. I was waking up with this meditation and watching what started to happen in my life when I, when I started to live out of this identity, that was the craziest year I have ever lived on the earth. And the reason it was crazy, it's because I literally felt like I was living in the gospels. Like I really was just carrying Jesus around wherever we were going. I mean, if you're going to get gas, I mean, we would have all, I mean, I I, I tell the story, but I mean, heroin addicts would come up to me at the gas station. I mean, here I am a woman, I was living in Chicago. It's like, you know, maybe, maybe you should be a little nervous about, you know, just strangers coming up to you at the gas station, but I wasn't nervous at all. I mean, the people were getting delivered left and right. We were in crack houses. I, me, I say we, me and Jesus, crack houses over on the west side of Chicago and the south side of Chicago. We were just, we were, it was an incredible year of just craziness. It was craziness. And 
I'm saying this because it's easy. It's easy to fall into this illusion. It's easy to fall out of that and back into a normal human existence. And and I'm I'm not saying that all of life has to be like, you know, an episode in the Gospels. Uh, you know, I've had children since then. I, my life is very different than living in, you know, that where I lived in Chicago. But my point is, is that when we really grab this union and we are abiding in it, everything else we do as Christians changes. The way that we pray for the sick changes. The way that we read our Bible changes. The way that we pray changes. The way that we worship God changes. The way that we give changes. The way that we walk out our destiny changes. Because the way that we read the Gospels changes. I mean, we don't look at ourselves in the book of the Gospel, in, you know, the book of Matthew or whatever Gospel you're looking at anymore and, and relate to the woman as the, in the, is the issue, with the issue of blood. We don't, we don't read the Gospels, and we relate to Jesus. We relate to how Jesus interacted with the Father. Uh, you know, in every one of my journals, I just started a new one, and uh, I brought it with me tonight, but in every one of my journals, in the very beginning of the journal, I write the scripture, and I, I know I read it a lot, but it's worth reading, again, in Matthew eleven twenty seven through 30, that says, The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Now, I use this scripture in Matthew eleven twenty-seven as an example here, it, it, as a way that you read the Bible different when you have a lens of union. See, I don't read Matthew eleven twenty seven and think, oh, I'm supposed to have a relationship like Jesus with the Father. Now, is there anything wrong with thinking I'm supposed to have a relationship with Jesus, with the Father, exactly like Jesus' relationship with the Father? Well, no. I mean, that's amazing. That ministers to your spirit. Like, I love that, Dad, you know, God's my Abba and, and that he's my Father. I mean, that is very, that's very comforting. But I'm saying there's another level of revelation here that says I'm in the son. I have stepped into the father and the son's relationship. And so it's not the same kind of relationship that, the fa- that Jesus has with the father. It is the relationship that Jesus has with the father. It is the exact same relationship. And by the way, the father and son are one. So it's, it's I'm in. I'm in this conversation. I am and you are the expression of Jesus in the earth today. This is Jesus, this this unique father-son operation is still going on. And it's going on through your life. And to the extent that you are operating out of a union with the son, whoo, you are able to really step into the ministry of Jesus Christ in this hour. Jesus has a ministry in the earth right now. I mean, to, to, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in, our, in everything. He, he is expressing himself through your life. 
And I'll tell you, the, the, the thing that is the, I think the thing that is most radical and revolutionary about the revela- revelation that I'm talking about tonight is that God's part of God's goal in this is to really eradicate low self-esteem and to really come after our insecurities and the relationship that we have with ourself because we believe that we are separated from God. And, and what I mean by that it manifests itself differently in all of us. I mean, all of us have consequences to believing that we're someone we're not. And those consequences that we have to believing that someone we're not are just different based upon who we believe we are. And, you know, who we believe we are has been formed over the course of our lifetime. And it's mostly been formed by the negative things that have happened to us. Because the negative things that happened to us, we've been programmed to believe the negative more than the positive. I mean, it is truthfully the way our brains work. I mean, neuroscientists call it something, call it the negativity bias. And the human brain has it. It's why, you know, if, if three bad things happen in a day and 20 good things happen in a day, the three bad things that happen are typically what we're going to be dwelling on. And we just, and we, it, we have that honestly as a, a form of self-protection in our, in our kind of unrenewed minds and the way that our brains work. But the point is, is that who we believe we are separated from God a lot of the times has been shaped and formed by really painful things that we've been through, through the rejection that we've been through. And so these negative experiences have taught us that we're someone we're not. And I, so I, I'm saying this because this identity transformation is such a different project <laughs> than confessing a million times and feeling guilty and having some relationship with God that's a roller coaster and trying to be good and and trying to trying to fit in and you know all of these other exercises that we that our brains are involved in and for that matter even you know just the goals that we set and all the ways that we live our lives i mean it's just a you know god is god is doing something in our lives to convince us that we are truly one with him. And that is really what mind renewal is. You know, mind renewal isn't training us to be like God. Mind renewal is training us to be one with God. And that, that idea is the root of the tree of life. It is because Jesus is the life. And that, that tree of life, the, the fruit that comes off of that tree of life, I mean, eternal life is experiencing God. It's eternal life is, 
is experiencing the very life of God. And you experience the life of God because you live in God. And those branches that are on that tree, that is, we've been, that's what we've been attached to. We are in this tree now. We are in this life of God. And so we are not trying to be like God. And we're not even, you know, people say, you're not trying to be like God. You're already like God. But it's really even one degree beyond that. We're not just like God. We are one with God. And this particular idea is where life comes from. And what I mean by that is it's, it's where true satisfaction comes from. It's where true fulfillment comes from. It's where true peace comes from. Because striving to be something and believing that you're not something produces the fruit of dissatisfaction. And it's not rest, it's exhaustion. And so when Jesus talked about Matthew 28, about being tired and worn out, are you burned out? Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He means you're going to come to rest in him. And I love the message. It says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Now, let me say this. Again, when you understand the union language, you're not thinking I'm walking along the road holding Jesus' hand. You're watching how he does it from inside of him. It's a first-person perspective. You begin to live as Jesus. You begin to recover your life and find rest in him. It says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you because the only thing he's putting on you is himself. You're putting on Christ. And guess what? It's not ill-fitting and it's not heavy. It fits you like a glove. It says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It means let me do the work. Let the Father in you do the work. This isn't about you doing it. It's about me doing it. You're the vessel. I'm going to do it through you. You're the vine. I'm going to produce it through you. But it's going to be me that's doing the producing. It's going to be me that's, that's growing the fruit. It's going to be me. This is called the grace of God. This is called the power of God. He is the source. And he is the vine. We are the branches. He is... The spirit, we are the temple. <laughs> and, and this is a dance. This is a dance with God. This is a, this is a, this is just a, this is just a being. This is a being, be, this is a being. It's not a, there's doing, but it's, you're just, you're being. And so I want to just wrap up with this concept that it is time, I really believe, for you and I to form a habit 
of living in union with Jesus. At another level, we need to form a habit. In the same way you would form a habit to floss your teeth every day. <laughs> or the same way you would form a habit to, to, to do anything else that you do. How do you form a habit? You form a habit by doing it and 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 doing it until it's automatic and you don't have to think about it anymore. And the truth is we're doing that with all kinds of things. We're doing that with all the habits we have today. And so I want to encourage you that you can imagine your union with God. I mean, it's part of what we do in, you know, my school. It's called Emerge School of Transformation. I always say I would call it Emerge School of Transfiguration if I could because it really is about, but the point is, is that it's, it's about engaging your imagination with your true identity because pretty soon if you imagine yourself as one with Jesus long enough, guess what? Your mind's not going to know the difference between that being reality or that just being an imagination. Pretty soon, it's going to, you're going to assimilate it. You're going to assimilate it into your way of being. And it's important because some of us have been struggling under, I tell you, it's not, this false identity, trying to clean it up, trying to improve it, trying to fix it, trying to like it, trying to love it, trying to forgive it, this relationship that we have with ourselves, based upon this false identity is exhausting. And God wants to deliver us from that focus at all. He wants us to live freely and lightly so that we can get our minds off ourselves altogether and not stop being sin conscious, stop being self-conscious and be free, be free, be free to have the center be him and get this who I am and this relationship down with ourselves, just get it settled. Get it settled in our hearts that, that we're just not confused anymore about who we are. And so I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you for making this clear. You know, Father, I kind of feel like I was everywhere, all over the place a little bit, but I... I know that you are talking while I'm talking. And Lord, what I'm describing in tonight's podcast, it it requires grace. It requires grace. It requires grace to renew our minds. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit to do in us really what you, I guess for us to get what you've done in us, I guess I would say. We need us. We really do. It's like the Apostle, pray, Apostle Paul prayed, Lord. We really do need the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you to come alive in our hearts. We need the grace of God to enlighten the eyes of our understanding so that we can know the hope of our calling, Lord. We just pray tonight. I pray tonight, Father, for light. I say, let there be light. I say that, I just say, let there be light. The same light that shone around the Apostle Paul knocked him off that horse. And, and, and blinded him to who he thought he was. <laughs> I just pray, Lord, that kind of light. Shine the light. Shine the light. Shine the light, Lord. Shine it brighter, brighter, brighter. I just declare, let there be light. Let there be light over every listener tonight, Lord. Let there be a fire ignited in their heart. Let there be light. Let flood their hearts with light. Enlighten their eyes, God. Let them see the hope of their calling. Let them see it, Lord. I, I, I pray for grace to create the habit 
of seeing their true identity, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that the only thing that's required is that we hear and obey. Thank you that we're, you're making life so simple, God. You're just bringing us into a place of simple life. Simple, just simple life. Whoo! Thank you, Lord. Every bit of separation. I just, I just come and I just erase that line right now in the spirit. I just erase, erase the line of separation in our consciousness, God. I just declare that the split that happened at the fall, God, and the programming that's happened over the course of our lifetime, Lord, that has taught us that to be separate from you, I just come and erase that line right now. Thank you, Lord. And I just sense that I just get a, I'm just going to sense that I feel like the Lord is just saying, man, if you'll just, the last thought before you go to bed, I'm one with the Lord, and just visualize it. First thought when you wake up, I'm one with the Lord. And just, just connect with that reality throughout the day. We do an exercise in Emerge where we set our alarm on our phone, and, you know, we just, we force ourselves every hour just to remember, and, you know, I'm in union, I'm in union, I'm in union, I'm in union, I'm in union. And so I just declare Father, that there is, you've got a specific way that you're helping them remember. And I thank you for, I just see fruit. I see fruit coming, just lots of fruit coming out of this place of letting go of this separation, this separated identity. We're settling back into the vine tonight, Lord. We're there whether we realize it or not, but I just declare, Lord, we are settled there in our mind. And we just ask you to do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, awesome. I always wrap up the podcast by just inviting you to head on over to shalice.com and do a donation and support uh, the podcast, support the team and all that goes into uh, making this podcast happen. And uh, always, too, if you want to find out more about information, more information about Emerge, find out more about it, you can email us at info at shalice.com and we'll be happy to get you set up with the team and talk more about that. And other than that, have a great week. I encourage you, you know what, get in front of the mirror, do your own little Colossians one twenty seven. Uh, meditation project and go after it guys go after really experiencing your union because it is truthfully the most life transforming revelation that you will have and it will totally put you on a fast track in the trajectory uh, to the fulfillment of your destiny so god bless you talk to you soon